Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is here. It is back. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. So from game spreads and totals, team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses going on. Again, betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Coming up now on the pod, we have Believe in Falcons Flight with Brian Giffen and Robert Taylor. Today joining us on the pod is Brian Giffen. Brian, thank you so much for coming on to Believe in Betting Chicago. And let's just start here. The Falcons are 0-2, a heartbreaking loss to the Cowboys. Maybe let's just start emotionally with where you think Falcons fans are and where this team is heading into week three. Well, I certainly think the fans are more on the ledge than they've been any time since they blew that lead in the Super Bowl against New England a few years ago. Very reminiscent, maybe not in the way the result was achieved. But let me put it this way. The byline around here has been along along the lines of, this is the most Atlanta loss ever. (laughs) You blow a 20-point halftime lead a game that you seemingly had in hand and dominated in the first half. True, you lose some players to injury that played a part on how the defense performed in the game. But yeah, the the players are more optimistic. And of course, the company line's always going to be, look, we have to look ahead. We've got 14 more of these. But boy, I don't know how one like this doesn't leave a mark, a stain, a bruise, whatever words you want to use. Yeah, and from that vantage point, what do you see for this Falcons team you know, over this next month, is it a team that is on the precipice of success or are these mistakes, you know, that onside kick play, the sloppiness, the type of red flags that worry you for a team moving forward this season? Well, I really think that you're at the crossroads right now and it can go either way. Oftentimes it's not necessarily how you're affected, you know, by a a devastating loss like this. It's how you respond to it. And that's the way they're talking, and that's the way you'd expect them to talk. Uh, You would expect that they're going to put a lot of emphasis on the pass rush. Kendall Sheffield may also return speedy corner that can help on the downfield plays, the chunk plays that they've been giving up. But I think the pass rush is going to be a big key in this one because, as you know, with Mitchell Trubisky, it's going to be important for them to get him off his spot, get his confidence rattled a little bit. You already don't have the benefit of having fans in the stadium to create the noise and havoc that quarterbacks have to deal with on the road. So I think that how the pass rush performs and how well the secondary can hold its coverages and how well they can get into the head of Trubisky is going to be a big key in this one. The offense typically does put its points up. The problem is through the first two weeks, they've given up more than they've gotten. That's a very interesting point on the pass rush because I think for Bears fans looking at this game moving forward, Bears-Falcons week three, you know, Mitch Trubisky is going to be on the road in the Dome. Typically, like you said, they are going to be piping in crowd noise, but there aren't going to be actual crowds in, you know, in the stands trying to mess up, you know, the play calls in and out of the huddle situation. And, you know, that pass rush on long distances of second down and third down can really be an X factor for the Falcons, you know, just bottling up Trubisky. And like you said, if they rattle his confidence early, the Bears could really struggle to score some points. 
And let's pivot over to this Falcons offense because they have the type of firepower for, through these first two weeks, which honestly is pretty traditional now for Falcons offenses the past couple of years. Matt Ryan seems to be out of the gate firing on all cylinders. You know, what do you like the most about this Falcons offense besides maybe Matt Ryan, who's off to a great start? Well, they're, they've been very pass-heavy, and the run game has not been consistent the way that they need it to be, I believe. Balance is a big part of, obviously, achieving success in the National Football League. And if Matt Ryan throws a ball 50 times, 45, 50 times, that means your run game is not really living up to what it needs to do. Now, how they throw the ball, I think it might be a key in this one to try to involve the run game a little bit more as receivers, as in the underneath stuff, the screen game, things like that. But running the ball consistently is what they brought Todd Gurley in here to do. The offensive line, to this point anyway, has performed reasonably well, though they'll be without, it would appear, Caleb McGarry for at least this game. But the pass protection has been okay. The question becomes, why has the run game not been better? Is it as much offensive line related? Is it a, an ineffective Todd Gurley? He's shown flashes, but I think the run game becomes a big key at this point because to have balance is everything. Oftentimes when you're throwing it 450 yards 50 times a game, it's because you're behind or the other option is because it's the only thing that's really working for you. And I think in both those scenarios, it doesn't bode well for Atlanta. You can put up all the stats you want, but the big stat that matters is wins and losses. And if I may push a little bit further, just for Bears fans that only really watch Bears games, don't really get a chance to watch all the other NFL action going on. You know, Todd Gurley's name, that is a buzz name throughout the NFL. You know, go a little bit further, what you've seen from him. You know, do you think perhaps, you know, they're still kind of getting into sync with each other, trying to gel a little bit. Is this a market improvement from Devontae Freeman from the year past? And are you liking what you're seeing from Todd Gurley just right now through two weeks? You know, it's an interesting question because the way the games have played out, obviously to this point, statistically, he's not been all that effective. There were a lot of question marks when the Rams let him go. And, uh, you know, reportedly that relationship had soured a little bit anyway, but he is only 25 years old. And by virtue of having had the knee injury, of course, he had one in college as well. He has the arthritic condition in that knee. You and I both know that the shelf life of running backs sometimes is three, four, maybe five years. There are rare exceptions where guys hang around a lot longer. But I think the jury's still out on exactly what they have in Todd Gurley. I think the expectation going into the season was to try to manage his workload the right way. In an ideal world, you're looking at maybe 20, 22 carries somewhere in that neighborhood. And it really all depends, of course, on how the games play out. But I think creating that balance is a big key for this offense to be successful and to have it result in the scoreboard going the way you want it to. You would certainly think for the Falcons' sake that they're not depending on Todd Gurley to be the bell cow of years past on the Rams. I think they're just looking for him to be a bit of a cut above, you know, the average running back. The outlier in this case, right, is the Adrian Petersons of the world. And I think more of the norms is, you know, maybe to go to Falcons pass a Jamal Anderson, if you will, who has two or three really strong years, but then sort of, you know, the shelf life of these running backs is only so long that you can kind of keep them healthy and upright. You know, moving forward into this week three, the Falcons are 0-2. I don't think I need to break any news when I say that they need to win this football game this week. You know, outside of some of the obvious things or maybe the things we've already talked about, 
what would be the one thing that you would like to see from this Falcons team this week that could perhaps lead to their first victory of the season? Well, it goes back, and one of the stats I think that's a glaring or maybe even astonishing one is red zone defense. Opponents have been in the red zone 10 times and have scored nine touchdowns. That's not going to fly. Now, as we talked about when you joined us on our podcast here in Atlanta, the Bears coming in are three out of six scoring in the red zone. So how well the defense performs in the red zone and how well that pass rush that we talked about a little bit earlier Perhaps the coverage gets better if you do get a Kendall Sheffield back. But I think that red zone defense is going to be a big key in this one. You also mentioned real quick on our uh, – thank you for having me on your podcast earlier. Had a really great time. And you had also mentioned that Julio Jones has zero career touchdowns against the Bears. I don't know. It, that just feels like one of those stats that could be broken perhaps this week. Calvin Ridley's off to a great start, but the Bears got to be concerned with both of those guys equally, I would feel. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, not at all. And Julio Jones is dealing with a little bit of a <clears throat> sorry. No, not at all. And and Julio Jones, for what it's worth, is dealing with a slight tweak to his hamstring that could limit him a little bit on Sunday. Obviously, I think the success of Ridley is twofold. For one, it's pretty easy to be the guy on the opposite side when a defense has to roll so much to the other side to cover and account for Julio Jones. But Rid Ridley has really put the work in all the way back to the offseason and through the weird training camp with no games. Ridley appears to be emerging big time as an alternate target to Julio Jones for Matt Ryan. The other guy to keep an eye on is Hayden Hurst, the tight end they acquired late of the Baltimore Ravens since they lost Austin Hooper to Cleveland via free agency. This is a guy that, you know, Matt Ryan loves his tight ends in the red zone. If you look back over his career, his legendary hookups with Tony Gonzalez in situations like that. Between Hurst and Ridley, you've got a couple of pretty viable alternatives to a guy that's a superstar and Julio Jones on the other side. But that hamstring being tweaked raises a little bit of concern going forward because a hamstring limits your speed and ability to make cuts. From your Atlanta perch, looking at the Chicago Bears team, what matchup or what player on the Bears or unit, um, you know, concerns you the most when they're playing the Falcons this week? You know, I think you alluded to it perfectly when we spoke a little bit earlier, and that is, will the Falcons be able to exploit the Bears linebackers that haven't been overly effective here through just two games of the season? If you're able to do that with a Hurst and with the running backs out of the backfield, I think that becomes the area of concern for Chicago, at least looking at it from the outside. Now, between various broadcast assignments and, of course, this Falcons project that we do all the time here, we haven't seen as much of the Bears, and I'm reading up on them as we speak. But on the surface, I think that's what I would look at as the area to try and exploit and the way to do it. The Bears give up yards. You know, we, we always harp on turnovers, and we had a lot of turnovers in 2018 that regressed a little bit last year, and we took a small step back. But sacks and turnovers, big plays, that is the hallmark of this Bears' current defense as it is constructed. But we do give up some yards, and what does Matt Ryan like to do? He likes to put up yards. So there's going to be something where, you know, one thing's going to have to go one way or the other, and we're so concerned with our offense already that we can't get too far behind against this Falcons team and be chasing you guys. I know that you guys just gave up a lead, so I know that doesn't sound exactly on as sure footing as before, but the Bears are definitely going to have 
their eye on it. Let's get you out of here on just a couple more. This might feel a little hot takey, but next year, who is in the NFL? Dan Quinn or Mitch Trubisky? One, both, or neither? That's a good question. I would say that even if Quinn's seat gets so hot that it all boils over and he gets let go, Arthur Blank, for what it's worth, has never let a coach go during a season. It's always happened at the end of the season. Word is that he was going to fire Dan Reeves when Dan resigned. But I think the Falcons, last time they made a regular season coaching change, during the season, that is, was like 1968, when Norm Van Brocklin relieved Norb Hecker. Norm for Norb. How about that one? But I think Dan Quinn would be in the league, certainly, because he's well-known as a defensive coordinator. And, you know, from the standpoint of Mitch Trubisky, my guess would be that both will be in the league. But does Trubisky become a David Carr type of guy or a guy that, you know, that maybe a Matt Schaub type of guy that has his moments to start, has his opportunity if he doesn't do or deliver the way the franchise expects. There's a pretty glorified path as a backup guy, which is such a valuable role. And I think particularly in these times with, you know, everything we've been through where you didn't have preseason games, you have extended practice squads, the whole nine yards, who knows how that all goes in 2021. But my guess on the surface would be in some capacity, the other both, but as a starting quarterback and a head coach, I think very much both those questions are big and adequate questions. I'm with you on both, but I think perhaps the the decals and the helmets and the hats may be different in 2021 for yes. both of those cases. But look, the season is still early, and this is what we do. We start to speculate and hypothesize. It is so funny that in the NFL, that after 2-0 and or after two games is when we do our first assessment on a season. And you brought up a really interesting point of there has been no preseason. There has been limited practices. I know as fans, we like to just brush that aside, or as analysts, we brush that aside. But that's a great point you're making. That really does mean something, and these teams could still be trying to sort of find out how to function and what works for them and what doesn't. Well, the other thing is you've added a layer now, one other wild card spot as the NFL continues to go the way of the NHL and NBA of adding play, oh, baseball too, for that matter, of adding playoff teams. To some extent, in my mind, maybe I'm just too old school, it delegitimizes a little, you know, what you've done in the regular season when you add layers of playoffs. But uh, a statistical thing for you, teams that have started 0-2 since 2002, 16 out of 148 of those have made the playoffs, which makes it exponentially tougher, I would think at least statistically from the Atlanta perspective, but that to a degree gets thrown out the window when you add in the fact that there's one more playoff spot to go chase. And obviously, you know, the play within the division will be something that factors in as well, since Atlanta has yet to face a divisional opponent. And as you know, win loss, whatever, in terms of your, your divisional record, if you win your division, you beat all the teams in your division, you're going to be the division champion. And by default, you're going to get in. That 0-2 playoff statistic is very real, and I'm just reminding that to Bears fans who the Bears are 2-0 right now, but there are a lot of upset Bears fans in this world, and they just got to remember that wins count a lot in this league, not breaking any news there, and that you know the Bears haven't played very well, but hopefully we can see if we can continue to improve in week three. But we've got a tough opponent coming up with these Falcons. They play a different brand of football than we do, 
you know, we're going to have to be able to match them offensively and our defense is going to have to be able to take a step forward. Brian Giffen, thank you so much for joining us. Before I get you out of here, do the Braves have the pitching to go deep in the playoffs? In a word, no. Yes, I know. The offense is fantastic, though. Well, they are. They definitely are. I, I, this is such a weird year. You know, I spent eight years with the Braves as the executive producer of their radio network, so traveled everywhere. By the way, love Gibsons, love Ditkas, and I love, uh, oh, what's the other one? Pippins. But uh, to be honest with you, no, I don't think they do. I mean, you know, you lost your best starting pitcher early in the year with an Achilles. You've been without your best starting pitcher for a while, and Max Fried is about to come back. Cole Hamels is probably, without question, the most veteran one left. But all those young pitchers, you start facing the Dodgers and the Yankees and some of those of the world. No, I don't think they have the pitching to do. And the other thing is that they really don't have the front office that's willing to spend the money to go out and get the kind of pitching that wins in the playoffs. Hence, what happened last year. Everybody around here puffed their chests about how well – Oh, they had really erased the Nationals in the division. Well, last time I checked, who won the World Series again? Oh, yeah. The Braves bring in Marcel, uh, Marcelo Zuna uh, kind of at the last second right on this bargain deal, and he's completely worked out, and then some, which makes them probably look a lot smarter than perhaps that they deserve because they should be probably putting their assets into the organization and probably with free agent pitching to give that offense a chance. And, and just real quick, a, a strange aside, interested to hear your thoughts, you know, Everyone's trying to see what is this going to look like when we get to the finish line and are the championships going to feel real. I have to be honest with baseball. It just doesn't, I'm not, I don't have that feeling that 162 game marathon feeling of you get to that finish line and the playoffs means so, so much because you've worked so, so hard to get to that place with basketball. I feel a little bit different. I feel that the, the championship is going to be completely legitimate because of everything they've gone through. Obviously they played more games this year, but baseball, I, I'm, I'm starting to sort of feel, is it an asterisk-type season just because of everything that they've gone through in the short span of games that they've played? For me, I think it certainly would be. And, you know, now I'm an old-school purist, I will admit this, but I think baseball's got a big problem here. And with some of what they've done, and I'm, I don't I know you're in Chicago, I don't know if you lean Sox or Cubs, but – with what they've done here with some of the rule changes, I honestly believe, and I, I realize what they're trying to do is attract a younger, hipper audience to the game, but the jury's still out, and the ratings would tell you that as to whether or not they've done that. And what I'm referring to specifically is the every pitcher must face three batters rule. The putting a runner, the beer league softball, putting a runner at second base in each of the extra innings rule. I think they risk in their pursuit of this younger, hipper audience running off the audience they already have, large chunks of it, particularly National League diehard type fans. And what happens if you don't attract the new one and you've run off half or more of the old one? I just think it's a really risky path they're going down. And to some extent, I'm on the record as not being the world's largest Roger Goodell fan. But I honestly be believe Rob Manfred's dropping, dropping in the proverbial hold my beer. He's making a run at it, isn't he? No um, doubt. Yeah, Universal DH, look, I think it's here to stay, and I don't think there's anything we can do about it. I absolutely cannot stand second base, extra innings. I absolutely cannot stand the seven-inning doubleheader rule. I know that's probably going to oh, go no. away next year, but, yeah. I mean, that, that's as little league as it gets. Those games fly by. 
pitchers can basically pitch a complete game. There's no nuance. It's like they don't understand the very game they're tinkering with, which is the most maddening. The people who make decisions on this stuff, anyway. I'll give you a quick story you'll love since you're a Chicago guy. Talking about umpires and their zones. <laughs> Spring training game in the uh, A.J. Pierzynski, very, just a couple of years here in Atlanta. Era. That's right. So it's the sixth inning of a spring training game, and our friend Joe West is behind the plate. Cowboy well, Joe. Yeah, Joe's having one of those Joe West kind of days with the amoeba strike zone that's, you know, fluctuating and moving all over the place. An For organism reason, that is alive yeah, and well, depending yeah, exactly. on his mood. <laughs> yeah, the C.B. Buckner amoeba strike zone. <laughs> For some reason, Joe West, you know, so he's so AJ's still in the game in the sixth inning, which is, you know, it may be because they had a young pitcher on the mound and they wanted a veteran catcher to work with him. But AJ's behind the plate. Joe West is calling balls and strikes, more balls than strikes. And, you know, the old unspoken thing where the catcher just reaches over his shoulder for a new ball and the umpire puts the ball in his hand. Sure. So AJ's in the crouch. And he reaches over his shoulder, and Joe's squeezing this young pitcher, not calling anything close a strike. AJ reaches over his shoulder, and Joe puts a ball in his hand. AJ pulls it down, mask on, looks at it and all, and then hands it back, goes, no, give me another one, one you can see. So <laughs> Joe immediately throws him out of the game from the crouch. This is when Freddie Gonzalez was the manager. And he said, Freddie, you need a new effing catcher. And the funny thing, the funniest part of that is, so the game goes on, you know, AJ, it's all funny later. One of the funniest things, of course, is getting thrown out of a spring training game in the sixth inning out of the crowd <laughs> for a funny line. Like, if you know AJ at all or covered the White Sox, he's yeah. a you know, he's very well-spoken, but he's also a pretty cantankerous He can guy. cut you. Yeah, no, he can cut you. So here's the funniest part. So Joe West, you may or may not know, is from Claremont, Florida, which is about 11, 12 miles up, U.S. 27, from where the Braves used to play spring training games at Disney in Orlando. And Joe, after games, would simply do what the umpires do. They'd shake their hands. And he would just walk out to left center field to this gate where the player's parking lot, where the umpires would park, is just get in his car, full uniform and all, and go home. So when he threw A.J. out of the game, A.J. put a couple guys in the bullpen up to this. They went down there and put a padlock on the gate. <laughs> and when the game ends, they do their thing, and Joe, rotund as he is, does his long walk out to left center field, only when he gets there, the gate is locked and it won't open for for him to get out the gate. And he's out there flailing his arms. You can hear him from all the way out there MFing whoever locked the gate. <laughs> and finally, somebody, one of the clubhouse kids took mercy on him and took a golf cart and went out there and got him and hauled him to his car. But that's just one of the greatest spring training memories that had nothing to do with other than Joe squeezing the young pitcher. One of the funniest spring training stories I can come up with. And a guy that you certainly would be familiar with because of his White Sox years, A.J. Pruszynski. Oh, I so, love that story so much. Thank you yeah. for sharing it. Yeah, A.J. AJ oh, is yeah. still king. Still king in Chicago. Um, yeah, yeah. He's just the, the guy that we love that you hate. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and, and we, we cherish him for that, for sure. Brian Giffen, thank you so much for coming on and joining. It was really great talking to you. It's Believe in Falcons Flight at the Believe Podcast Network. 
got an opportunity to listen to some of their episodes recently. They do a fantastic job of breaking down the game, and also they do a great job of splicing in audio clips and coaching clips. So you get to actually hear from the guys in that building, that Falcons building, about what's going on with that team. So definitely make sure you check them out this week because they're playing the Bears, all you Bears fans. But they're just a great NFL podcast just in general. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Joey, it's my pleasure, man. Love Chicago. Take care, and hopefully uh, maybe we'll talk again in the playoffs. Sounds good. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. So head to BetOnline today and get a free sign-up bonus and have yourself a little fun. Again, thank you so much for listening to the pod, you guys. We're going to be coming back with some more Bears talk this week and maybe a little fantasy football. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.